Galatians chapter number 4, Galatians chapter number 4, this morning as we look at this time of year and the perfect timing of God to bring about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it means for us as we look at the message of Christmas. He gives an analogy in the first three verses, a very interesting analogy. He says, now I say, and he said that because he had finished this incredible argument in chapter 3 where he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This is verse 1 of chapter 3. This only would I learn. If you received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? There's an interesting question. How did you get the Spirit of God living in you, Galatians? Did you get it? By the law, or did you get it by grace? How did, how did you get it? And he said here, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Hear ye therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you. Doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? How did he do all those things? By faith, or by works? And if you remember, God said many times throughout there, thy, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith. And then he went on through the argument, and he said, Know ye therefore that they which are the faith, the same are the children of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of the faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Whoa. If you're going to work for the law, you're under a curse. That don't sound good. I was hoping we could get something better than that. And he said, <clears throat> And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the brethren through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, These shall nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith, blessed faithful Abraham. For as many as are works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All things, all the time, you must be doing them. But that no man is justified or declared righteous by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he goes on and he continues his argument all the way down to the very end. And he ends by saying, verse number uh, 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It was our teacher that we might be justified by faith. It was given to us, to, the law was given to teach us we need to live by faith and we must put our faith and trust in Christ. But after the faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, no longer there. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized unto Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Now, 
based on what I just said about the law, the schoolmaster, and we were under that until we got saved, and then we were no longer under that schoolmaster anymore. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. Now, the heir, the position of the child is this. As long as he is the child, he's just as much as a servant. He, though he's going to get it all, he doesn't get it yet. He's a child. And the word child there is literally a word that means one before they can speak. So it's dealing with an infant. That an infant, before he is able to understand and grow up and get the things that he's supposed to get, differs and is not worth more, is not different than a servant. It's our Greek word doulos, bond slave. He's no different than a bond slave. Why is that? Because he's under tutors and governors. In verse number uh, 2, until the time appointed of the Father, until the Father says the birthright passes to you, they're under tutors and governors. Now, a tutor was a person entrusted to act in another person's name. The tutor watched over the person. Okay? The governors were stewards, house managers, and they protected the young child's estate. Okay? So we have two groups of people. Tutors, those that are watching over the person. They're giving them what they need to grow up and become the person that the father wants them to be to pass the birthright on. And the governors, they're the ones who are entrusting, watching over the estate. In our case, it could be a dad. It could be a dad in the bank. It could be a trust account that's set up in the kid's name. Lots of things it could be. And, uh, you know, even in the case of Social Security, many times children, because of the death of both parents, will receive a Social Security until a certain age, and that's in trust to them. That's the kind of the gist of this. So they, everything is being protected and taken, they're washed over. Everything is being done for them, and they don't have any say-so in the matter. I had no say-so in where we live. When my mom and dad announced that we were moving from Indianapolis, Indiana to Florida, I had no say-so in that matter, though I was highly agitated, irritated, upset, not happy, and never told him a word about it. I like my teeth in my mouth. And we went from where I could build snowmans to where sand does not make a snowman. In fact, our backyard in Indianapolis backed up to Eagle Creek, and I had a virtual fortress and woodland and water flowing and all that. And we moved to a lot that was a cracker box house set on a lot that was not very big, and the whole behind us was pure white sand. It was the only place I could play, and then I got in trouble for getting dirty. It was a no-win situation, I'm telling you. But then they built houses there, and we were just all crammed in, and they were just little quarter lot. And so I had to do something to occupy my time. So at eight years old, I got me a lawnmower and started cutting people's grass for $5 a lawn. That was the good old days, wasn't it? And, of course, gas only was 16 cents a gallon, so it didn't cost me that much to put it in the gas tank. Amen. But anyhow... Uh, I was a child and had no say-so in what my parents moved and what they did. And I had to be under their rules and regulations and, and anything that happened. 
uh, you know, that is the case. Does that make sense? Do you get that? That is the analogy he is making. Now watch what he does with this. The person that is doing this, he turns it then around and he says this, even so, we, Paul is talking to the Galatians and he's saying you were saved by grace. And you're trying to go back under law because of the Judaizers. Even so, we, when we were children, like it said back in chapter 3, when we were under the schoolmaster. You with me? When we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The word bondage is our word doulos again. We were bound as a bond servant under the elements or the rudiments or the basic foundational principles of the world. That's where we were before faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the child who differs nothing, though he's Lord of all down the road, he has nothing now. When we were in bondage, we were children. Infants had nothing that we could understand. We didn't get it. We didn't understand the gospel until the Holy Spirit came. And I'm telling you, I'm so sick and tired of people getting saved without the Holy Spirit. It drives me nuts. You cannot get saved apart from Holy Spirit conviction. You cannot. The Father said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And there is a drawing, and there is a wooing, and there is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Only what's in the heart can truly save a person. They know in their heart if they believe Jesus Christ or not. They know what they believe. He knows what's in your heart. You may not be able to say it right. You may not be able to pray it right. You may stumble all the way through it. But God knows your heart. And I'm here to tell you, I'm glad God knows my heart because there are times I just don't know how to say it. And I'm glad as a Christian now, the Holy Spirit not only convicted me to be saved, but now He is interceding on my behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. When I can't pray it out, He can take it up. And I'm glad he can. Well, I'm glad to tell you, he said we were in bondage, but something changed. He said we were in bondage under the elements of the world, but, oh, divine intervention is in those two words, but God. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. The first thing I want you to see here is this. He sent forth his son. The word fullness of time means when the number fullness complete was filled up, when that exact moment was that it was supposed to be, was come. Eris tense. When that specific point in God's calendar was reached. I'm glad God has a calendar that's right on time. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. There are times I don't understand his calendar. Do you? There are times that if I was running the calendar, we would have had a different timing on things. 
But God's timing has always been perfect. When Jesus Christ came to this earth the first time, born as a baby, the road system was fine so that Mary and Joseph could make the long trek. When Mary and Joseph were uh, taking the little infant Jesus and he was growing up to that man that he became, we were speaking Koine Greek. And you know what I love about that? I, this is one of the greatest things about that. Koine means common. The common man's language. Do you know the classical Greek is not what he wrote it in? That God didn't come from the up and coming. He came from the down and out, the downtrodden, those that were in deep in sin. And he came to the common man. And he put salvation on a level that even a child could understand it. And I'm glad to report to you that this Bible's not that hard to understand. And when it comes to salvation, it's not that hard to understand at all. The issue with salvation is not understanding. The issue with salvation is what are you going to do when you're convicted to do something with it? Will you reject it or will you accept it? And here he said, he, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth. God, the action is focused on God sending his only begotten son. He sent forth. That means to send away from. He's sending from the glory world to the womb of the virgin Mary. He sent him from the realm of the wonderful things of heaven to the tight womb of a virgin maiden. Can you imagine that? God residing in a womb. God spending nine months restricting himself to the womb. And yet he was preaching in the womb. He preached to John the Baptist who was in the womb. And John the Baptist did cartwheels and flips. I'm sure that was exciting for poor Elizabeth. And, it, and it, it, it's very interesting because he said when God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law first we see made of a woman it means that there was uh, separation from the womb but there was more than that it includes the entire human nature of the son was derived from his mother because Joseph was not the father the Holy Spirit was the father the idea of this is carried very clearly that there is no earthly paternal father here. There is the spiritual father, and it's through the seed of the father the sin nature carries, and Christ could not have a sin nature, so we bypassed the father of the earth and went with the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's called the virgin birth for a reason. It's supernatural for a reason. And you have to believe it to be saved. For if you don't believe that, then you are putting your faith and belief in a person that has a sin nature and needed someone to save them. Then I want you to see that it says here, made. The word made means to come into existence. That means from his pre-existence as Christ, he made his entrance into this world as a human. That's his beginning point as a human when he walked this earth. He began as God in the flesh, but he always existed as the Son of God in the spirit realm for eternity past. 
wherever that goes because you can't trace it back because God has always existed. Made under the law. He lived sinless under the law. He lived under the law without any failures of any kind proving that he was indeed fit to be our substitute. The word, there's a verse that people love to use to prove that Jesus could have sinned. One verse. Man, I would never hang my doctrine on just one verse. And, and a lot of them hang it on this one verse, which is this. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And they reason from a false knowledge of the word tempted that he cannot be tempted like I am unless he can sin. If he can't sin, he can't be tempted as I am. The word tempt means tested to prove. We're tempted, we're tested to prove we don't have it. Jesus was tempted just like we are to prove he had it. Sinless, spotless, son of God. He was tempted in all points like we are to prove positive to the world he is able to go to that cross and take our sins upon him as the sinless substitute. Therefore, he is the only one that can save. Thus he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive him to myself, that where I am there you may be also. But I'm going away, and Philip says, where are you going? We don't know the way. He said, yes, you do. If you know me, you'd know the way I'm going. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. There's no other way to get to heaven. It'll only be through him. So he... He had the fullness of God's timetable. When the roads were right and the language was right and the place was right and the people were right and God had everything in place. And by the way, all the Old Testament is simply God putting the chess pieces where he wanted them. There's no happenstance. There's no, oh, that's coincidental. It's God putting the chess pieces everywhere, rising up and taking down and putting the right people in and taking the right people out. And you can mark her down. This preacher believes in the providence of God. God supernaturally does work in the affairs of men. And uh, Benjamin Franklin had it right. If God can see a sparrow fall to the ground and know about it, can he not know that a whole nation's trying to rise up? Let's turn to God. We believe God wants this nation. And the old-time Christians used to say, yes, God can, if he wills. They understood the providence of God, and they understood that there comes a time when God's answer is no. There comes a time when our prayers are no, and God takes a loved one home. There are times when things don't go the way we want them to go, but God always puts them together for good. Nobody would like to have the result that a Johnny Erickson Tata had when she was 16, diving off into that Baltimore pond and breaking her neck and being a quadriplegic and feeling sorry for herself and going through the things that most of us go through all the time when we have things like that happen. But what a ministry she has to people that are hurting and in wheelchairs and going through things like that. And she's incredible. Sings and paints by putting a brush in her teeth and loves the Lord 
But you read her story, it didn't start out that way. But slowly but surely, God took a teenage heart and melted it and showed the providence of God. Remember the man born blind in John chapter 9? Everyone wanted to find fault. Who was this fault? Who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Or was it somebody else that he was born blind? And God had a shocking answer. He said, it's not him, it's not the parents, it's not anybody else. He was born blind for the glory of God. And it was at that moment in time God used that blind man to be a great Bible story that we preach about. So he may have been blind, but God uses him all the time now because we keep preaching about him. God took a blind lady by the name of Fanny Crosby, saved her soul, and let her pen some of the most beautiful hymns that we have in the hymn book. She may not have been able to see physically, but she could sure see some things we can't see. And she used her talents for God, and I'll never forget this. Uh, when I read her autobiography, that means she wrote it. And she was talking about how a Scottish minister was kind of perplexed and how God would have her to be born blind, as talented as she was. And she rebuked him and said, if I could have petitioned one thing of my creator before I was born, it would be that I would be born blind. For now, the first things that my eyes will ever see will be the face of my Savior. Whew. There's an attitude that I'm not sure I would have had. At eight years old, she wrote this poem. Oh, what a blessed soul am I. Although I cannot see, eight years old, folks, I am resolved that in this world, contented, I will be. How many blessings I receive that other people don't. To weep and cry because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Ouch. Wish I hadn't said that because now I feel like I need to repent. Anybody else? <laughs> Watch this now. Why did he at the fullness of time? Why did God send forth his son made of a woman made under the law? Verse number five. To redeem them that were under the law. Wow. To redeem. The word redeem means to ransom. It's our great word ex agarazo, which means to buy out of. He, he bought us out of the marketplace of sin, took us out of that stenchful, sinful place that we were in. He made a purchase. And the reason why I use that word there is he's talking to Galatian Christians who are trying to go back under the law. He says, why would you want to go back in when God bought you out? He got you out of that marketplace of sin. You want to put yourself on the law, which will turn the spotlight on. You still have sin in your life you got to deal with. But under my blood, under my atonement, under my redemption, that sin that you do today is under the blood. It's all forgiven. I made a payment in full. And every time you sin, it is taken care of. You know my illustration. I've used it 150,000 times. It's the best one I know. So I'm going to use it again. It's not that I run my credit card bill up and someone pays it off. That would be good. If you have a $20,000 credit limit and you have $20,000 on the credit card and someone paid it off, you'd be going, hallelujah, glory. You'd be telling everybody. But my friend, that's not what God did. He did not pay your debt off one time. It's as if once he paid off the whole sin debt, 
he paid off everything he knew would be charged to it. So as you keep making little things that end up charged, it's already been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. So every time you have a charge, it's already paid. It's like carrying a credit on your account instead of having a balance. Now, I don't know about you. If I had a charge card like that, Christmas would be no problem. <laughs> Amen. That's what Jesus did. To redeem them, what, where were they? That were under the law. Well, wait a minute. Galatians, did you get it by faith or did you get it by the law? Christ came under the law as the only person who was perfect and sinless. And he made a payment at Calvary to take you out of that law system so that all of your sins are dealt with. Now you want to go back under it. But he came to get you out from under the law. Not to be a lawbreaker. He saved you. But to give you grace when you just mess up under the law. But that's not all. He had a lot more purpose in there. You see, when he redeemed us and you trusted him by faith, you were born again. You became a child of God. You were birthed into God's family. But look what he says that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, we, I preached on this before, right after uh, we got Luke, we preached about being adopted. But you understand what he's saying here is? He's saying when we were under the law, we were nothing. We were like that child that was going to inherit everything, but don't get anything. But when we get saved, we're like that child who has now grown up and become the heir. Where the father, at the time appointed to the father, gives them the birthright. So when we get saved, we're no longer infant children. We're now born into the family of God, but we're then adopted into his family. And the word adopted means to place as a son. And when I read this young man's paperwork to you do you remember it said that now it placed him as a legal son as if born to us under the eyes of the lord i'm sorry out of the eyes well the lord too but under the eyes of the law based on that adoption and we're just waiting now for the birth certificate the birth certificate is going to show that luke was born to roger and melody walton that's what it's going to say on the birth certificate but do you understand? God places us as a son. So we've been born as a, as, into this sin-cursed earth. We've been born again, and then we get the birthright. We're placed as a son, which makes us an heir of God. Now, all of a sudden, I've got rights I never had. And may I say to you, rights I do not deserve. There ain't one of us that deserves to be redeemed, let alone to be placed as a son right along with Jesus Christ because another passage says we're heirs with God and we're joint heirs with Christ. What he owns, we own. Well, what does he own? Well, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Forget about that. I want to see heaven. What do you think we're going to see that nobody's seen? And they can send all these crazy spaceships. They're all excited because one of them's going to reach Pluto soon. And we're going to get these better look at Pluto. Well, big deal. What do you think we're going to see that God's made that goes way beyond Pluto? 
But I think there's a whole lot more beauty we're going to see than what we can. I don't believe there's any way in this world we could describe it because Paul would not could not Paul describe it. He wasn't even allowed. He wasn't even allowed. And then I want you to see something else. He said to re, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, we've also preached on this before, but I do want to make this point. The Holy Spirit was given so that he could be called alongside to help. And when you got saved, you got saved because he convicted you. And then as you got saved and trusted Christ as your Savior, he then comes alongside of you and lives in you and becomes the one that convicts and commands and gives us that wisdom and those words to say when we don't know what to say. And if we would live a cleaner, more Holy Spirit-filled life, you know what would happen? We never lack for what to say to what person, and we would say things that it would just blow our minds why we're saying it, but we would see the result and go, wow, God, you are so good. Just like looking at the poems in, in my files of poems and picking two, and one of them fit the man to a T. Only God can whisper to your heart and say, that one, and you know what he's doing. And Melanie and I have felt that prick in our hearts, and it was four years ago almost that the Lord started pricking our hearts about adopting someone from DCF. We pricked our hearts. We prayed. He pricked our hearts. We prayed. We pricked our hearts. We prayed. We kept putting it off. We pricked our hearts. We prayed. And I believe through all of that, God knew the timing would be perfect to get the one he wanted us to have. And through it all, we then began to talk to our good friend, who deals with that all the time. We began to go out and pray more, and we began to seek and look. And finally, through a series of events too long to explain, God catapulted us into taking the class. And then we thought we'd have a long time. We, they said, nope, you're the first home study. And out of the whole class, we're the first to adopt somebody out of the whole class that was there. And I'm telling you, God was in it all the way, and he had better been, because I would never do anything like that without God. The most important thing to understand, as I have tried my best to love this young man with all my heart, and to show him how much worth he has in our family, I got to thinking I got saved, and how much God has showed me before I got saved how much he loved me. And how much he says I am worth now because I've trusted him as Savior. I am one of his, and he made me, and he doesn't make junk. And I can't help but see that correlation. And now I'm hoping that he will obey me as the dad. And I think, oh, and God wants us to obey him as the dad. And I, I am seeing it clearer than I've ever seen it before. Because when he adopted me, he made me so equal yet I'm still to be obedient to his word and his will. In fact, he says here, he put the Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So when we don't know what to do, the Spirit of God is crying out to the daddy, the daddy father, Abba, Potter. It's an Aramaic word with a Greek word. And it's crying out on our behalf and inter not just interceding, but on a very intimate level. Does that make sense? God is getting from the Spirit of God a very intimate report of what we need as he intercedes on our behalf. 
sounds like we're in good hands. Forget the commercials with the insurance company. We're in good hands with the Lord. In fact, my Bible says that we're in God's hand. And we're in Christ's hand. And Christ's hand's in God's hand. It goes something like this. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We're so secure, we're in His hand and in God's hand, and you're not going to pry Christ in God's hands open. You're not going to do it. I had someone tell me when I, was, when I was telling them that, they said, you're right, preacher. You're absolutely right. No one can take us out, but we can walk off of His hand. I said, I'd like to see you try to walk away from His hand if He didn't want you to fall. See, we stumble a lot, but we're never away from him. If you're saved, you're never away from the hand of God. It may be on you in conviction. It may be on you in chastening. But the hand of God is there, and his hand is not short that it cannot save. Isn't that a good one? I like that. Well, then it says here, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, no longer that bond servant anymore, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We not only got the Holy Spirit, we became an heir, an heir of Christ. The adoption brought heirship. We are a recipient, a possessor, an owner, an inheritor, and we got it through Jesus Christ. So what's this time of year all about? When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, his only begotten son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So I wonder this morning, have we lost the meaning of Christmas? It's not about how many gifts you get. It's about the greatest gift that was ever given. The only gift that I know that changes your life to the tune of destination, hell, to destination, heaven. Nothing else will do it.